0: Welcome to The Music Reel, I'm your host, Nicola Burton, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Leanne D'Souza, who is a director for Nightlife Music. She's also a trustee of the Queensland Performing Arts Trust, a co-founder of the Rock and Roll Writers Festival, and recently Leanne was engaged as a curatorial advisor for the Music of Brisbane's High Rotation Exhibition. Leanne, there isn't much you haven't done in this industry. Welcome to The Music Reel. How are you going? Thanks. Thanks, um, Nicola. Nicola or
1: Nicola? Nikki. 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 Yeah, Mickey. thanks for having me. I think, yeah, one
0: of the things I haven't done is picked up an instrument since about 1988. But well, <laughs> you're in good company there. You're in good company. But you were also noted the 14th most influential person in the music industry last year, weren't you?
1: That was, yeah, that was, um, you. you know. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I think the year prior to that was, um, was the exec- I was the Executive Director of the Association of Artist Managers. Yeah. And we did a lot of work that year to really um, get managers really inserted into the national advocacy conversation. It had been it a really back- hectic year. So um, it was off the back of
0: that. Yeah. Yes. Well, you've been an advocate for so much in this industry for such a long time. And today I'm so interested in hearing about this Kickstarting Australia program that Nightlife Music is doing. So perhaps you could talk us through that. Tell us about how that came about and what's the vision for that project ultimately? Well, I think probably just take a
1: step back, make sure that anyone listening is familiar with nightlife. And what we do is Perfect. it's quite a niche business in Australia. Like it's um, it's one of those businesses that sits behind the businesses and behind the artists that often people don't really understand what we do. So um, the quick summary: it's a thirty-year-old business at ten thirty last year, um, mm-hmm. and. It's started with a couple of programmers that were just big music fans and wanted to watch the music videos in the clubs that they were dancing to. And one Mm -hmm. of them is my husband, Tim. So Tim and Mark wrote a program. So actually, so DJs could start to DJ with music video. So you think between 1989 and now, the changes in technology, um, Australian music, you know, I think so much has happened um, in that time. And they've always been big Australian company and over 5,000 clients pre-COVID, wow. um, across Australia and New Zealand, and some international partnerships. And now it's all cloud-based technology. Um, a lot of the consumers might be familiar with the Crowd DJ app. Yes. So there's nightlife itself is a business-to-business product. So everywhere from gyms, cafes, clubs, cruise ships, restaurants, hotels, gyms are a uh, big vertical. Um, so that's sort of the business-to-business business product. But then we created an app called Crowd DJ, which means if any punters are in a room and they've got the system, you can actually pick your own songs. So it's a bit like a jukebox. So yeah. technic, you know, In the old days, you'd put a couple of dollars in the jukebox. Yeah. And now you can go in, download the app, check into that venue and pick your favourite songs. Right. So our platform, it's very rigorous A lot of um, R&D has gone into the platform over a long time. Um, but um, we're also the licensed platform for public performance because a lot of people don't realise that Spotify, YouTube, Apple don't actually have the right licences in place. They can, That's their right. home products, they're not yeah. for public music. So we're sort of in that weird niche and we're one of the world leaders. But part of that is we're really passionate about Australian music. So when it sort of all ties in together with um, when COVID happens and so many artists lost their touring income, which had been such the, um, you know, that, week-to-week kind of living, mm. um, we the money that we generate for artists and is, is comes from the songs and the, the recordings that are used in public performance. So when um, APRA and ARIA and co put out that sort of call to commercial radio etc to play more Australian music and put more Aussie music on telly, I mean we essentially, it's almost like we are a, a network, you know, screams through venues. So we, we already had a very strong um, campaign an Aussie play campaign. We have a little icon. So if you're in a nightlife venue and you're picking songs, you can see it's got a little Aussie sign.
0: Beautiful. Um,
1: to elevate. Because a lot of you know, people love requesting Australian music. Right. So oh Scott Brown.
0: Oh, okay. Scott. we better get him out. I'm not sure what he's doing. <laughs> There's a bit of a blast from the past. <laughs> My
1: goodness. Um so yeah, so we came on board with that and really then creating much more Australian lists, Australian music, which is part of a bigger conversation around data. But that was sort of the kick-starting idea. So
0: Beautiful. Um,
1: Beautiful. if I can answer any more on that in the details. But really we wanted Australian venues as Australia opens up post-COVID really yeah. play Australian music as the soundtrack to Australia opening.
0: Well, it's a good news story and we don't have a lot of them at the moment. So know it's important to sort of really say... Thank you to Nightlife Music for actually making this contribution because there's so much uncertainty. Where are we headed? What's it going to look like? So what you've been yeah. so involved in this industry for such a long time. What are your thoughts for possible mm. roadmap? It's for a big
1: life? question. You know, I, it you know, we're recording this on 13th of July when Melbourne's just gone back into lockdown. So,
0: right. you know,
1: anything I would have said two weeks ago is already different again. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I, I at a very personal level, I think you know we all have to look after ourselves and stay in the moment and just do everything we need to do in each meeting and conversation, because if you think of the big thing, it just is really overwhelming. That's so right. you know, to so the last, I actually just I'm on the back of a week off. Um, before that, I don't think I've worked ever as hard, and I'm a pretty hard worker. <laughs> yeah. You know, from going on the, for us, I mean, I know a lot of the live industry, we think of Black Friday was the 13th of March, uh, 2020. I think for the recorded sector was the 23rd of March. Um, Mm -hmm. For our business, every time, and we've survived being flooded in Brisbane, we survived the GFC, we survived the digital disruption. We've had a lot of chaos, but as long as the pubs were open and people could go and get a drink, we've always knew we'd survive. Mm -hmm. So the day the pub shut, which was the 23rd of March that was the day that 95% of our income disappeared. That's right. So since that day, i between that and my my role with Qpac, I don't think, you know, every single day through March, April and May was hectic. Oh yes. <laughs> you know, changing constantly. So um so I think we're sort of coming out of that, there was a bit of optimism um mm-hmm. through July Australia started to reopen. But today, I think it's a bit, I mean, our business is national and some international, which we can talk about. But I think from a national perspective, the hardest thing has been, you know, even just getting an invoice out the door. You know, we used to invoice and do direct debits once a month and it's all automated. And now, you know, it's like every state and every city opening at different times. Yeah. So, you know, we just had to pause on all of, because we've cut our clients a break. So if they're not open, we're not charging them
0: yeah okay we enough. see
1: our service a bit like you know electricity water gas music so mm-hmm. we would rather pause them and just keep them keep them there so when they're open they're ready to go and we're part of their their opening yeah so it's hard to know where it's going to go Nikki it's sort of um you know uh, I, I talked to a lot of managers yeah everyone's trying different things as well different way I mean I booked a ticket to go to the Trifford in next week i think to wow. a live gig <laughs> it's across, it's so it's awesome. it's
0: oh my goodness so,
1: but i'm also and anyone that knows me i'm eternally an optimist so i love seeing people try new things and innovate and you know pivot that word yeah um, so you know I, I i'm not a crystal ball reader when it comes to this but i think i do really believe managers will drive a lot of the change they're the ones that are right so close to the artist to try new things
0: That's right. do things
1: differently you know find all the little bits of revenue that that they're owed um that you know we shall see but i also think you know i'm we've known each other a long time you know i started business in 92 in a recession Livid mm-hmm.
0: started at the beginning of a recession. I think sometimes the best ideas... Are... They happen at the worst possible financial times. Yeah. So we, we turn 30 next week on the 17th of July. So Congratulations. It's huge. Years, I don't, cannot believe we're still here. Um, but we've, like you, we've survived through, you know, the lockout laws and all the challenges that you've had with life. Yep. But, you know, venues on the whole are very pessimistic. They're very cautious about mm. opening up again. They're just watching what's happening in Victoria and they're just like slowly, slowly. And we don't want it to be a race to the bottom. We don't want artist managers to put their artists out at, you know, rock bottom prices. We've really got to make sure we maintain that standard. So look, it's going to take a while. But as you say, it's how we, I mean, look, we're creative beasts. Stuff happens to us, we, we find another way to do it, right? That's just how our industry totally. survives. So if anyone, if any industry can survive this and pivot, as you say, it's mm. absolutely our industry. But look, I'm interested in your blogs. The Fair Play um, articles have intrigued me. Because, um, because <laughs> well done if you've
1: read them all. They're quite
0: dense. That's my thing. I'm, I, it's all about data. because. Yeah. I guess what we're all realising, oh, my goodness, we've got, okay, sorry about this. We've got um okay. trying to come into our thing. <laughs> <laughs> zoom
1: drop in. Zoom bombing. Come
0: in. Um, I think it's quite clear that the, the data flows in this industry are not getting to the government. They really don't understand the whole, I guess, a holistic perspective of our industry. Um, so perhaps you could talk to me a little bit about, I know this is your pet project. I love your writing and I'm really enjoying The Fair Play. You're about to release number three soon?
1: Yes, I've, I've, I'm now on, like, draft 16.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. So perhaps uh,
0: talk, just tell us a little bit about it because I think it's, yeah. it's important for artists and, and music workforce to understand underneath all of this, the data Tells the story, and the data drives the decisions of so much in this industry. It's like, you know, the iceberg 90%, no one sees it. So, mm. tell us all about well, this. Probably I mean. just again step back on
1: two, two sides. I mean, I stepped out of frontline artist management five years ago. Um, before that, I'd been managing artists and booking whatever, but really at the coal face of working closely with the individual artists, it's about 96, so, you know, 20 years um and even then I think back data I mean as a manager it gives you so much intelligence you know and data can be everything anything from how many people came to the show to how many cds you sold all that sort of quantitative stuff but also then the qualitative of how much you know quality reviews and all of that so I was always really interested in the, the nuances of that of how it would inform decision making um, even at that point, and I think now, like even five years ago, we didn't have the Spotify artist dashboard. Oh. Five years, I, I'm working on a project now and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so exciting, I would have loved that five years ago, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a um, commonly used. Um, so there's sort of always been that behind me, and so I've known sort of deeply the nuances of the revenue streams for the artists, so yeah. it was that. Over the last five years, I've almost completed my first undergrad uni degree um, at UQ. So I'm doing a Bachelor of Arts, majoring in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander studies, a minor in gender and a minor in digital media cultures.
0: Wow. So okay.
1: this semester, my COVID semester, everything kind of um, came together. So I got the opportunity in, in one of my subjects, we, it's all about platformization of the media. And I took on the challenge around regulation. Um, The ACCC had done the big platform inquiry where they really interrogated Facebook and Google and that sort of how the newspaper and the media industries here have been gutted by these global companies and, you know, we're consuming more American content than ever, you know, Netflix, all of that. So it was all very based on that. Meanwhile, I know what I know with nightlife and our role there and I'm privy there to how much accurate data that, you know, my husband wrote the computer program years and years ago that actually sends the royalty reports to the record companies, you know, so I was sort of seen it in a 360 way and then yeah. parallel to all of this, which I think is one of the, you know, um, in the music industry, we've got a couple of big players, which are the PPCA, PPCA and APRA, yeah. which a lot of artists and labels see them very much as sort of peak bodies or industry associations, but actually their core business is a bank. They're a collection society to clear money. Money comes in, money goes out. Um, But there's all these other things and services, and some of them are wonderful programs that they do. But the core of how those organisations were set up was pre-digital. So all of the, if you read the constitutions and the way that they distribute royalties to their members, It's all so complex and based on distribution pools and sample data and this and that. And so sort of all roads led to... so. And also the last year I've been very involved with some submissions to the ACCC about the market behaviour of these collection societies, particularly APRA, and making it fair. It has to be fair for the artists Mm. and the venues and the licensees I mean, this is a two-way relationship. No-one's saying they want to use music for free. They want to pay for the music, but they want to think the money is going back to the right artists, but in reality it hasn't been. It's That's very right. complex. That's right. So I've sort of all of this, and it's interesting we talk today because I've just been reading, because it's so exciting, um, the ACCC's determination into ACRA. So giving them... Oh. It dropped today. Wow. Oh, no! So, you know, nothing like citing like a 125-page document. Um, But it seems that on first glance we've had some real breakthroughs. They're going to have to be transparent to the venues and the licensees about how they calculate their money Mm. and they have to be fair and use the data to get money paid back to artists. So, and I don't think if anyone from Africa ever watches this, I'm not saying that the money hasn't gone back to artists. It just hasn't been getting back into the pockets of the right artists, particularly in our area, which is public performance. So in answer to getting, you know, I sort of all of that because in the last, in the 2019 financial years, not just finished the previous one, there was $150 million collected in Australia of a combination it's across ppca and apra so through one right. music and that's for when music is used in public so it's not radio it's not broadcast it's not facebook and google that's just the money from venues so you cafes restaurants parks, nice. the little live performance returns you know artists put that in that's a very small slice of that 150 million dollars Wow. So we've just done a big data project on our end with nightlife because we know we have the data from five thousand venues, every single song, every time it's played, all those micro transactions, and we know the big pool of you know it's about one hundred and forty thousand premises licensed across yeah. Australia. So you know the money's not getting back to the Australian artists that are played in those nice. venues. So all of that (laughs) has led to, I wrote a big paper for university, uh, which I just got my marks back, 38 out of 40. So that was exciting. But uh, we decided, I decided I'd um, break it down. I just think there's a lot of people in the music industry that don't understand this whole area because it's complex. I don't. So I've broken it down into three-part, might even be four-part blog, um, just to try and take people on the journey.
0: So, of how it all works. And well, I'll be putting the link in yeah. to medium because it's, I think, well, I, it's great to see that somebody else is actually really focused on this area. Data has been our number one value the whole 30 years. People have said, no one does it like that. What are you thinking? But if you don't have that data, you can't make concise decisions for the career of an artist. You can't make concise decisions for how you're going to brand them, but everything starts that. and ends with the data. So, yes, yeah, so I was very excited to read about Fair Play. Yeah. So,
1: well, what um, I did, I haven't. This is sort of some of the data that i the, the stats going in the data about the data. But you oh, know, sorry. we've um, in my next blog by the time this goes live, it should be there. But we figured out we've really concentrated on First Nations artists in our first data scrape. Um, You know, because the way it's working at the moment, if you're an independent First Nations artist who's being played in public, the chances of you being actually paid accurately for that are minimal. Um, So, you know, something like "Best Part of Me" by Busby Maru, we know was played 129,000 times. So, the potential learning from just that one song, just through the nightlife network, it should be $1,549. So we've really gone down, you know, artists like, yeah, Baker Boy, Busby Maru, Dan Sultan, Tia Gostello, Dama Plum. So, you know, that, that's significant. That's you just significant? one song.
0: What do you think we can and do? And in
1: a COVID world, data like, using data like that, the managers, the artists, the play. you know, yes. there's that intel for the marketing plus there's that little pot of money which might help make up some of the loss of tour revenue.
0: So what do you think artists can do, Leanne? to, um, I guess, support this whole process of better data reporting? What do you think they can do to support that? Because it's going to benefit them in the long run.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think, and I'll talk specifically about that royalty data bit in a minute, but um, I'm working in another part of rethinking management models at the moment with a wonderful artist called Lydia Fairhall and the She-Hoax, First Nations woman, independent artist, and we're doing a little research project as the guardians of purpose as we go. And one of the things is looking how we're going to use qualitative and quantitative data to help inform her. So it's really topical at the moment too, because yes, there's, and we won't, you know, like when I said about, you know, the number of people come to shows and all of that. So what she can do is the first thing you can do is make sure that the data you're putting on the internet or somewhere in the first place is accurate. So there's that huge problem with metadata. Yes. Um, and I, one of my blog pieces, if you go down, I wrote, it's called Broken Leaky Pipes. Um, and one of the big problems is if you're an independent artist and entering the data in the first place and get it wrong, yes. then it's a nightmare. That becomes It all ends up in this black box because no one really knows. So the first thing is attention to detail. So exactly. when you're recording, whether it's your songs with Afro or your recordings with PPCA, whether it's you or a label, independent, whatever, just checking that the data that sits on that ISRC code, you know, the code that's going to yep. tell you points back to you yeah. and keep your info. Like if you do move, make sure people know you've moved, your bank account, all of that. So that's yeah. the first responsibility of the artist. Don't leave it up to somebody else.
0: Yeah. Check and it. it's, it's so simple your backup data, you hold on to everything and just being on top of what your manager is doing. Don't leave it. Make sure you understand it. Because a lot, mm. I, a lot of artists that we're working with now have gone with previous managers and have no idea about their data. Oh, I just mm. left that to someone else and they've missed out on so much. I myself as an artist didn't keep anything. I have mm. no idea because I left it to the people. Of course, as you get older and you go through the industry, you learn more from your mistakes. So this is really great for artists to hear, Leanne. Really great. Yeah, start. I think that's really important. And the other thing, you know, I know, and the thing, is, and as an artist, you have got to
1: remember. And I think they forget. They think, oh, I've registered it; it'll just come through eventually. You know, the thing is, it's not in the interests of these big global companies. You know, yeah. whether they they are collection societies or they're distributors or whatever. To chase you to make sure it's accurate. So, I mean, some of these companies still send checks. You know, oh so they're, they're counting on the fact PPCA oh. is still sending checks. No. So if you're an independent, yes. Oh. So if you, if you know, if you get a check for twenty bucks, it's now more of a pain than ever to go and bank that check. That's right. So they're probably counting on the fact that most a lot of those checks aren't banked. Right. You know? So it's up to the artist then, if you're a member of the PPCA, start hassling them. Say you want to be paid by direct debit. Yeah. You know, when you register your songs with APRA, be curious about those royalty statements. Mm -hmm. They look like, you know, what do the codes mean? Where? What does distribution
0: pool mean? Yeah. Ask the questions, set some outlook calendars so that you know when when that time has come and just start, just keep yourself organised to track it. Yeah. 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 It is being curious about the money
1: trail, you know, and I think now, I mean, I'd encourage any, any of your readers and listeners to um, read the Broken Leaky Pipes because I went to Singapore and just listened to all about where the data, and it is frightening. It is frightening how much money is just floating around lost and if the artists themselves took a little bit of sort of self-accountability and responsibility yes. to ask that questions, yes. those organisations, you know, should... Oh, do exist for the artists, so you've got a right to ask
0: and to make sure so, you get what you're owed. This is an opportunity to actually level up, I think, as an industry. Mm-hmm. I yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah. It's way
1: overdue. this, you know, it's these laws that were written for copyright were pre-digital. There's nothing, they don't actually not fit for purpose. So unless... Mm we all step up and ask those questions and work collaboratively on solutions. So I'm, you know, like I said, I'm an optimist, but I'd like to think that Australia, we can lead some of this in the public performance space and find new ways to make it fair and get artists, get them paid here in our backyard first and, you know, not just send it all to the big end of town.
0: Sounds like a bit of a call to action, Leanne. Bit of a call to action. Oh, yes. Well, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it's exciting today. I mean, I'm really
1: excited again,
0: you know, because it's quite
1: full on. It's dense and it's heavy. But I'm excited to come back to it
0: today and, and pose some of the solutions. Now, it's great. Look, it's been great to chat with you. I think you've given people so great. much to think about. I'll make sure we've I hope got so. your... Well, look, it's so much work that you've done. I think it's great for people to actually start digging deep while they've got the time to do that and really reap the, the benefits of your hard research, especially with those Fair Play articles. So I'll make sure that everyone has the links to everything. And Thank you. And make sure you check out the whole kickstarting starting Australia thing with nightlife because I was I... going to say, any of your artists too, make sure you send us your music. Yes. You know, like the
1: labels do, but treat us like a, la- like a radio station or a TV cool. station. So your new releases, your press releases, the music team, and if it's a good track, we'll put it on. um, Perfect. And get it out there.
0: Why wouldn't you do that, guys? So, Leanne, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. Best of luck with everything. It's wonderful to hear all about what you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take it easy. Cheers.